Hi, this is Pastor Sam Murphy from Christ-Centered Church, and you are listening to Christ-Centered Cast. So as I mentioned at the outset of uh, the service tonight, that over the next few weeks, there's going to be obviously the theme of Christmas, but Christmas this year, and I know it's not lost on any of us, and it's no surprise to all of you or to those of you who are participating online, that this Christmas is very different than uh, probably any other Christmas in our lifetime. And that, of course, is because of the coronavirus and the way that it's impacted everything in our lives, whether it's health or economy or how we live out our faith. Everything has been impacted and affected. And as I was thinking about the holiday season and thinking about this Christmas and thinking about how different it is from other holidays and other Christmases, it was very easy for me to think about all of the things that I felt like were lost this year, like some of the habits and the rituals and the practices and the way things were done, like going to different places or seeing different people or participating in different events or even something, uh, you know, like a good Baptist eating at church, right? I mean, I haven't been able to do that. And it's almost like, well, I mean, that's what you do, right? Well, we haven't. And it's easy to think about all the different things that are different, all of the different things that it feels like we've lost this year, that it feels like have been taken from us. Because this year is a Christmas like none in modern memory. If we try to compare it to the holidays past, it can be easy to become discouraged by all of that, to become discouraged by what it seems like has been taken from us. And if we're not careful, we can let these things that seemed at one time so important distract us from what Christmas is really about, what it's truly about, uh, and as well as distract us from the things that we have that can never be taken from us. As we look at the scriptures, we see in the scriptures, uh, they tell us that no matter what, there are certain things that abide, certain things that last. If you go through the course of scripture, the various places that said that, one in particular. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at three of those things that abide, three of those things that can never be taken and aren't taken from us this Christmas. And we're going to see at the beginning here, we're going to start with our faith. Our faith is one of the things that abides. Now, as we look at Romans chapter 12, which I already prompted everyone to turn to in our opening scripture reading, as we look at Romans 12 and we look at those verses 3 through 8, uh, what we find prior to that in verses 1 and 2 is that Paul was calling the Roman Christians, the Christians of the church at Rome, to be living sacrifices. Those verses, those well-known verses, uh, Paul calling them uh, to be living sacrifices, to not be conformed by the world, but to be transformed. And he even tells them how to be transformed, how to live out what it means to be a living sacrifice. So he calls them, he says, be living sacrifices, and live that out, not looking like everyone else, being transformed through the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind by the Holy Spirit. That's all important background information that we need. So he says you need to have a renewed mind in Christ, and that's going to impact and affect where you go and how you live out your faith, how you live out what it means not to be conformed, how you live out that transformation. After telling them that they need to be living sacrifices through a renewed mind, he tells them how they can live that out. He exhorts them in the verses that follow that we're going to consider tonight how to, cons to consider how to use their gifts. Because not only when we accept Christ do we have the opportunity to get a renewed mind, 
We also have the Holy Spirit living within us, who then gives us spiritual gifts to be used. And that's where that, you see that transition there. And the context there is him telling them, be living sacrifices, have a renewed mind, live differently, here's how you live differently. And then in the passage that follows that we're not going to look at tonight, but is important for context, he tells them what essentially are the marks of a Christian, what a Christian life looks like. So this is sandwiched in between those things. The gifting and what that means. He, had, he wants them and us to consider the use of our spiritual gifts, the gifts that we have received, as well as their source, because they come from somewhere. Anytime you receive a gift, it's got a source, right? I mean, often that, that is the case, except for this last week when I sent some things to my aunt and uncle in Maine and we forgot to let them know who it was from and they got this mysterious box at their door and then I had to call after they had already opened and gotten into it. They didn't know who the source was then. But we know from the scriptures who the source is of these spiritual gifts. Tonight, we're going to be looking at one of the greatest gifts that we can receive. This is something that can't be taken from us, that can't be stolen from us, that we have with us when we know Jesus Christ, no matter how different things look this Christmas. The first gift that we're going to consider tonight is our faith. Our faith. And as we consider our faith and we look at the text, Romans 12, 3 through 8, we're going to see three reasons that our faith cannot be taken from us this Christmas. And we're going to see that in the text here today. So as we look at Romans 12, 3 through 8, we consider our faith and we consider the three reasons why our faith cannot be taken from us no matter what happens in life. We see first, as we look at verse 3, that the first reason that our faith cannot be taken from us is because it is a gift from God. It's a gift from God. We know the source of that gift. My aunt and uncle, until I called them, had no idea where that mysterious box came from. But once I called them, they knew then that that box had come from me. And here in the text in Scripture, we see the source of our spiritual gift. We see where it came from. We see that it is, in fact, a gift from God. Our faith is a gift from God. The faith that you have is because God gave you that faith. It didn't start with you. And what we see when we look at this text, we're going to read it again, verse 3. Paul writes to them and he says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So that phrase that God has assigned Another way that could be stated or said is that, that God has given you. God handed it out. He assigned faith. So the faith that you have is the faith that you were given. It's a gift from God. It didn't start with you. Paul wanted the Romans to understand this so much that he essentially tells them at the beginning of the verse not to be cocky or arrogant because the faith that they have didn't come from them. That's, why, that's what that means there when he's saying that in context. He says, But for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, or everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. So he's telling the believers, if your faith is strong, that's not about you. It's from the Lord. God gives you the faith. The faith that you have to believe. The faith that you have to live out what you believe. And it's all by God's grace. It's a gift that's given. It's a gift that's assigned. The faith that you have is a gift from God. It cannot be taken from you. And it's not, you're not the source. What we see when we think in terms of this faith, Paul is saying here, is that essentially our faith is a gift from God, and everything else 
is unearned confidence. It's unearned confidence. If your faith is not a gift from God, that's your arrogance. And we also, unfortunately, see that in, sometimes in Christendom as well, don't we? We see some people who, instead of living and operating according to the Spirit, let the flesh take over, and there's cockiness and arrogance and hubris and those kinds of things. And Paul is warning them. He says, your faith, your, the, your spiritual strength in the Christian life is not from you. Any faith that you have that's true faith is from God. He's the source. And he tells us to approach it a certain way. He says, don't be cocky, don't be arrogant. Understand that the faith that you have is given by the Lord. And he says to instead to think about it a certain way. He, he exhorts them to think about it a certain way, to think about their faith a certain way. What we find when we look at our faith, and we look at this text in verse 3, is that the faith that we have, the real true faith that's a gift from God, is ultimately rooted in self-controlled, tempered thought. So that's the, the contradiction or the, the juxtaposition from the cocky, arrogant thinking is the self-controlled, temperate thinking about your faith and about your Christian life. So he says here, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to, but to think with sober judgment. That's that idea of self-controlled, temperate thought. To be self-aware about who you are, what comes from God, what he has given, and how that's to be used. And what's interesting about that is that idea of, of tempered thought or tempering. I actually, one of, one of the things you may not know about me is that for some reason, and I don't understand why, I enjoy watching competitive baking competitions. I, especially during the holidays, I just do. Maybe it's the art, maybe it's the science, maybe it's a fun mixture of the two. Maybe it's the competition part and I enjoy watching people melt down from the pressure. It could be all of those things. But it's the perfect, perfect cocktail of fun. And one of the things that I've learned, I've learned a lot from these shows, is there's this uh, baking technique called tempering. And what tempering does is they temper the chocolate by heating and cooling it. And what that does is that actually strengthens the chocolate so that it can be used in some different ways. And there's this whole uh, process of the chocolate sugar crystals uh, and all that kind of stuff. I won't bore you with the science of it. But suffice to say, when they use that process, it makes it so that there's more integrity to the structure when they build with the chocolate and they use it. And when I thought about that, it came to mind as I was thinking about this idea of tempering. And the thing about tempering and this idea of tempered thought is that life is a heating and cooling process. No matter what happens when we're going along, we can feel like our faith is strong. But when stuff starts getting piled upon us by life, when life turns up the heat or cools things off on us with extreme temperatures and bad things happen and they fluctuate and there's the ups and downs, that we can either let that destroy us and break us down or we can let that refine us and harden us and strengthen us. And that all comes from having a renewed mind and living in the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit then, when we have that renewed mind that tempers our thinking, so that when the bad stuff happens, we don't melt down and walk away from the faith. And so he tells them here to have this tempered mind, this sober judgment, to let that inform and impact their faith, no matter what they experience. And as we go through this holiday season, which is unprecedented, which in many ways has, uh, things are turned up the heat in a lot of lives and a lot of families, we have, we have to come back to our faith. We have to come back to the God-given gift of our faith, to understand that our faith is rooted in the Holy Spirit and our relationship with Him, and it's not from our own strength, because that's the quickest way to crumble. 
That's the quickest way to get discouraged and disillusioned and depressed. But we're called by Paul here to look back to the gift of faith, to understand it's a gift from God, to think about it in a tempered way through the Holy Spirit. And then something else that's very encouraging here in the text in verse 3 is we see that our faith is a gift from God is that everyone is given a different amount. We're all assigned a different amount of faith. Look at what he says here in the, in the last part of verse 3. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, what we see here is that everyone has a different amount of faith. And you actually find that practically applied later in the text when you get into the specifics when he talks in verse 6, 7, and 8 about the different ways that faith is used. And we see that everyone has a different amount of faith. Have you ever met anyone who just seemed like no matter what happened to them in life, they could just keep going? They never took their eyes off the Lord. They never wavered. They never gave up. You see this a lot with uh, missionaries. If you get the chance to go through some of the older books of older missionaries, when they would travel to these unreached countries and have these, these experiences that by today's American standards are just awful. I mean, many of them are awful anyway. But they persevered. They kept going. They just had a faith, and they lived in a grace that was supernatural. It's beyond anything that we've experienced. It's the kind of faith that keeps them going when they lose family members, when they face abject poverty, when their illness is crippling, and yet they persevered in their faith. They seem to have a greater faith or more faith even than many of us. And it can be very easy for us to go, well, I'm not a super Christian like they are. But that's so untrue. And, and that's, that's part of the problem sometimes. And something even I struggled with as a believer earlier on in my faith was comparing my faith and my walk to other people. And you can't do that. Because we all have our own relationship with the Lord and God gives a different amount of faith and grace to everyone. And we see here, Paul talks about the, the each according to the measure of the faith that God has assigned. So what we see here is that it's so important to understand with that sober mind the gift that God has given each one of us individually in faith and to live our lives not comparing ourselves to other believers when it comes to their faith because it's all different. It's given in varying amounts and that's okay. That's perfectly fine. And when we realize that, when we approach that with humility, it keeps us from getting arrogant and thinking somehow that we deserve more or that we should be living differently like someone else, but to instead keep coming back to this, this gift of faith that God has given us that can't be taken from us because it is a gift from God. As you look tonight at your faith and the gift of faith that God has given you, have you been wrestling with discouragement? Have you been struggling with perseverance? Have you been looking at your own life and comparing it to other people and feeling like a failure because you may not have arrived at a certain place or you may not be where other people even think you should be? It can be very easy for us to get beaten down by those standards that are unrealistic and ungodly. And I want to encourage you tonight to realize the faith that you have is a gift from God. And if it's real, true faith in the Lord... That's what matters, and no one and nothing can take that from you. 
Does that mean that you won't struggle? No, absolutely not. You're going to struggle. We see that throughout Scripture. That's the Christian life often is pain, more often than not, and persecution. And really, we're told in the New Testament it should be because that's when we identify with Jesus Christ the most is when we're suffering. But we can't let that beat us down and make us quit and and push us to walk away from the Lord. We have to keep coming back to the gift of faith that God has given and the amount that he's given it to us and look at it from a sober mind that's tempered by the hot and cold of life. We see here in this first verse tonight, the first reason that our faith can't be taken from us this Christmas is because it's a gift from God. God has given it to you. No one can take it from you. Nothing can. And if if it's able to be lost... It wasn't from him, and it wasn't real faith. Because it lasts. The second reason, the next reason that we see here in the text tonight that our faith can't be taken from us is because it's strengthened in community. Man, it seems like, and it feels like I've been talking about community a lot lately, doesn't it? Almost as though that's what God intended for his people. Well, it's because he did. And what we see here in the text is an example of that. Paul He he speaks to that idea, that concept. The next reason our faith can't be taken is because our faith is strengthened when we're with one another, when we're with other believers in Christ, our brothers and sisters. We see that our faith is strengthened in numbers. Maybe you've heard that phrase before, that strength in numbers. Well, it's true. It's true often in armies, but it's also true in the Christian army. It's it's true in the faith, in in our religious community. And we see that here in the text, verse 4 and 5. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. One of the best places that you can be when you're discouraged or struggling or having a difficult time dealing with life and struggling with your faith, is with other believers in a, in, a, in a community that seeks Christ and loves God and one another. And we see that here in verses 4 and 5. Our faith is strengthened in the context of community. It's strengthened by sheer numbers to begin with. It's also strengthened in something else that I, I love that Paul presents here. It's strengthened in diversity. And there's... Diversity is kind of a big talk in culture and society right now for different, uh, in different ways, and, and that's, that's all very important. But tonight, we're looking at the diversity of gifting. We're going to focus in on that part, because what we're going to see in the next verse or verses are several different kinds of examples, and we have to understand the context of the passage. When we talk about diversity here, it's talking about the gifting that he gives believers to use in the body. So, uh, in terms of spiritual gifts... That faith that we have, that God gives us, that's a gift, demonstrates itself in a variety of different ways. Right now, as I'm standing up here speaking, I'm using the gift of the Holy Spirit in teaching and exhortation and prophecy. And there's different ways you can apply that. It can be manifested through teaching in a classroom, teaching a subject. It can be demonstrated in in mercy, in walking alongside someone who's struggling. It can be demonstrated in giving That's a spiritual gift as well. It's demonstrated in leadership in various ways. 
And there's a diversity that God intentionally put in his people through the Holy Spirit. Because you need all of those different kinds of gifts in order to make the body work. And it strengthens everyone else. And it's all of those different things, the, the, the parts contribute to the whole. So we see there's strength and diversity. He says, the members do not all have the same function. And that's also another thing that, that should give us some comfort when we try to compare ourselves to other people. Because sometimes we try to compare ourselves to other Christians and where they're at in their walk with the Lord, where they're at in their life, where they're at in a bunch of different ways. And we forget that they're completely different people with completely different gifts, with completely different walks, with a completely different measure of faith than we have. And so there's really no point, and it's only discouraging to try to compare ourselves to other people. But we see when we realize that there's benefit in the difference, in that we can learn things from other people, we can be strengthened by people who are different than we are, and God uses people of different kinds to fill in different gaps and overlap like a tapestry, then we see where the true strength comes in. So we see that our faith is strengthened by numbers, from being just around other people and encouraged by other people and strengthened by other people, but it's also strengthened in diversity, in being around people who are different and gifted differently, who can help us with blind spots and weaknesses and can buffer us and help us and lift us up. Most importantly, though, we see that our, our faith is strengthened in Christ. Because while the community, as Paul says, is a group of many, it all ultimately contributes to one, and that is the body of Christ. As his church, we are his body. And we see here in the text, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. This is a place that the church sometimes struggles and, and doesn't necessarily get it as right as they should here where we live in the West. We tend to be very individual people. And we see that Paul speaks to that here, doesn't he? He speaks to the individuality of everybody with their different gifts and different amounts of grace and faith. But what we sometimes forget about in our individualistic Western society is the idea of community and the idea that we're all one. And the East tends to do that uh, very well. And they sometimes struggle with their own individual accountability. Whereas we do that more here. We forget about community and the fact that what we do and how we live in a community impacts and affects everyone. When we think in terms of community here, we go, well, I can just miss church this week. Or just, you know, step away for a while and it's fine. Not that big a deal. When that couldn't be more wrong. Because being a part of the community, people miss you when you're not here. Even if you don't miss them, they miss you. And there's a void. And the community is made up of people, and it should be made up of people, who love one another, who are there for one another, and who strengthen and encourage and build up one another. That's why we're called not to forsake it. And that all builds up and strengthens the body of Christ. And it's in Him. We are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So you can't escape the connectedness there. If you miss, you are missed. And if you go somewhere and you're not there and you're not missed, maybe you should consider being somewhere else. Because what we see here is the biblical model 
is to be a member of a community who is one of another and all one in Christ. And it's because of that, that connectedness, the numbers, the diversity, the strength in Christ, that our faith is something that is strengthened in community. It's something that ultimately can't be taken from us. If you're in, in the community that you should be, there is a strength there that you won't find anywhere else. And if not, find that community somewhere. Because you don't know what you're missing out on. We see in the text here tonight, the first reason that our faith can't be taken from us is because first, it's a gift from God. He gives it in varying amounts. And we are to look at it through a self-controlled, tempered lens. And it's okay that it's in different amounts because we're all different. But God brings us all together in one community. The second reason our faith is strengthened is in community. We're built up by other people. A diverse group of other people in Christ as one body. As we look at the, the, the text, we see the third and final reason that our, our faith can't be taken from us tonight. And that is because it's secured by use. You can't have something stolen from you that you've already given away. Now, of course, the spiritual gifts don't work that way, but that's a principle in life, right? If you've got something and you're giving it out, or you have given it out, it's not there to be stolen. What we see here in the text, though, it's a, spiritual gifts are a little different in that you can never lose or you never give away entirely the spiritual gift that God gives. You just use it. But the way that applies is that if you're busy using the spiritual gift that God has given you, God is pouring into you through the Spirit of God, and you are being strengthened by that. And it's, very, it's a lot harder to get discouraged and give up when you're regularly in an intimate relationship with the Lord, using that to bless and benefit other people. One of the best ways to get out of feeling discouraged and depressed is to do something to help someone else be better, have a better life. By building and lifting someone up, I know I found more often than not when I've wrestled with really difficult depression, when I've had the opportunity to bless and benefit someone else, it brings me up. Now, is that a cure-all? No, it isn't. But it helps. There is a definite benefit to that. And what we see here is that Paul calls the believers here in the church at Rome to use their gifts, the gift that God has given. And what we see here in the gift of faith is that that gift actually comes from another gift. I love it because it's all, this is all kind of holiday themed and Christmas themed and it's because it's about gifts and giving. And what we see here is that the gift of faith that we get from God that he gives us comes from another gift that he gives us. And that's the gift of grace. Verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So there we go. There's another gift he gives us. The grace that we have. But by God's grace, our lives would be very different. That is a gift from God. Your life right now is yours because God has given it to you by his grace. There's so many people who seem to have lives that are not as good as the lives that we have. And we forget that because we're constantly looking out here rather than looking up here and seeing what God has done for us and what he continues to do for us. And we see that the grace that God gives us is a gift. What we have is a gift. And we're to use that gift. We're to re-gift that gift to other people. So the grace that God gives us, we use to bless other people. He says this, having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. And here's the list of the different things I already kind of referenced. Let's look again. We see he talks about the gift of prophecy and it being used in proportion to our faith. 
So look at that connection there. That points us back up to the to verse 3 when it talks about the faith that he's given uh, in different measures, right? So he then brings it down here in verse 6, if prophecy in proportion to our faith. So what we have there is that God uses people that he's gifted more strongly in the gift of faith to participate in the gift of prophecy. Now, there is a, a charismatic use of that, where, and what you have in Romans is a transition in the church. When there was the actual gift of prophecy that was given and used that I, I believe was phased out as God completed his word and brought it all together. But today, the application of the gift of prophecy is the communication of God's word to call people to uh, turn toward the Lord and to live for him. Because if you look at the Old Testament and the prophets in the Old Testament, what was their message? It was to God's people to turn from their idolatrous, evil, sinful, wicked ways and to turn toward the Messiah. If you boil all those prophetic passages down, that's what it is. A coming kingdom, the Messiah is coming, Turn to the Messiah, repent of your sins, and give up your idolatry. That's still my job today. It just looks a little bit different. That's what preaching the Bible is. It's calling people to come to the Messiah, to turn away from the idols in their lives, to turn toward God, and to live for Him. That's prophecy. When you preach and, and, and teach, and there's a teaching gift too, but when you preach and teach God's Word, you're participating in prophecy. And God gifts those who do that with the proportion of faith. So he calls those who have been gifted with faith to participate in prophecy. The next, in service, in our serving. So he gives people the, the Holy Spirit gift of serving. And people are then strengthened in the Lord and the Holy Spirit to serve others. Got to be honest, any spiritual gift inventory I've ever taken, serving, was it was down at the bottom. It's just not how God has wired me. But God bless those that he has wired who are gifted that way because we need everyone. And the Holy Spirit gives people the gift to be able to serve. And then he goes on to talk about teaching and the one who teaches. He talks about the one who exhorts in his exhortation. Exhortation is to build up, to lift, to strengthen, to encourage, often through the voice and through words, but also through actions. And God gives people the spiritual gift to be able to, to encourage others. There are some people who are just wildly encouraging in the Holy Spirit. And they're some of those wonderful people you ever meet in your life when you're discouraged and struggling. That's how he's gifted them. And then in generosity, again, I mentioned that giving is a spiritual gift. And God often blesses people so that they can then turn around and give to other people. They're giving, it's giving through the Holy Spirit. And then in leadership, leading with zeal. This is one where as I was working through the text and praying through the text and studying the text, I've read this text, I can't tell you how many times, I've even preached it a few times, but this time I was like, wow, that really, leading with zeal. And God, I could just sense the Holy Spirit going, yeah, that's, that's an area we need to talk about. So God and I did some talking. We're still doing some talking. But that whole leading with zeal thing. And what's amazing about leading with zeal here through the Holy Spirit is that it looks a lot different than it does in the world. When you have these strong, domineering leaders who bully people and threaten them and use intimidation and tactics like that in order to get their way and to get the objective and job done, we don't see the, that that's the model that Christ uses. And we have to be very careful 
when we lead in the church, not to take tactics and things from the world and let that inform how we lead the church of God and the body of Christ. So it's coming back to this passage and going, well, what is zeal then? What does it mean to be spiritually zealous for the Lord? And I think that's probably a study in and of itself. But he, we're called through the Holy Spirit to those who are gifted to lead, to lead with zeal, but godly zeal, not like the world. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now that's interesting because mercy for me also ranks pretty low on the spiritual gifting. But again, we need people who have that gift and can show that to other people when they need it. And what we see here is that it takes all of these kinds of gifts, and the best part of it all is, if you know the Lord, you've got one. At least one, probably more, and in varying degrees, but you've got one. So if you are a believer, if you truly know Jesus Christ as your Savior, there's a gift in there that God has given you, that he wants you to use, that I pray isn't stagnant and isn't hibernating. Because if it is, we need to do something with that. We're called to do something with that. When you give someone a gift around the holidays and you put a lot of thought in it, and let's say it's an article of clothing, maybe you even handmade it, and you just were certain that this person would love it, that they would wear it probably regularly, and you gave it to them and you just you looked at them with so much anticipation when they opened it because you were looking forward to the joy on their face as they opened this present and, and saw this gift that you had spent many, many, many hours, man hours working on, the blood, sweat, and tears, if you will, making this thing, and then you give it to them. And they open it and they look at it and they go, oh, well, okay. And then you find out next week that they actually sent it to Goodwill with a bunch of their things when they were cleaning up their house because it really wasn't that important to them. And they thought, well, I might be embarrassed if other people see me wearing that. How would that make you feel? How do you think it makes God feel to give you a spiritual gift to, with anticipation, look forward to you using it only to find out that you've stuffed it in a closet somewhere and you don't want to do it because you're embarrassed or concerned what other people might think when they see you do this. God gives us gifts that he wants us to use. He gives gifts that differ according to the grace that is given to us. Let us use them. Some heavy stuff here. But I'm driving the point home because I want us to see that no matter what it feels like you don't have this Christmas, no matter what it feels like you may have lost this year, no matter how discouraged you might feel during the holidays because things look different, no matter if you feel like something has been taken or stolen from you, some uh, cherished tradition or something, that no matter what, we can always come back to our faith. The gift that God has given to us, the first of several that we're going to look at, that he gives to us, that he intends for us to use. And when we do use it, we then bless other people and we end up giving that gift to them as well in its use. We learn from this text tonight that we can't lose our faith if it is truly faith because it's a gift given from God. Everything else that we might have is unearned confidence. 
Our faith is a gift from God that's strengthened by one another when we come together to practice and use it. And it's meant to be lived out through that use. So tonight, here is what we do with this text, what we do with Romans 12, 3 through 8. This holiday, this Christmas, I want to challenge and encourage every one of you first to focus on your faith. At any point when you feel down or discouraged about something that you don't feel like you can do or that you don't have or that's been taken from you, come back to your faith. Take a moment and thank the Lord for what you do have. And that, if nothing else, is your faith and your relationship with Him. Because that can never be taken away. So first, focus on your faith this holiday season. The second thing, on a very practical level, is to ask the Lord and others how you can best practice your faith in the church here and online. Because just because you are online does not mean you are not a member of our church. And it does not mean that you can't use your gifts to bless and benefit other people. It's just a matter of figuring out the logistics of that. And God has given you a gift that he wants you to use. Look at the spiritual gifts that Paul gives us here in 6 through 8 of Romans 12 and begin looking for ways to first figure out what that gift is that he's given you and then find out ways that you can use it. And one of the things is my job as a pastor, and we see in Ephesians, is to help equip the saints. So if you truly, sincerely want to discover what the gift that God has given you is, it's my job to help and I would love to do it. Don't sit around going, I have no idea how God has equipped me, and I'm a little scared to find out, so I'm just not going to do anything with it, and be like that person that I talked about tonight that just gives that article of clothing away and breaks God's heart. Talk to me. Let me help you figure it out. And then lastly, remember that nothing, nothing outside of God can truly, uh, nothing outside of God can truly take away what he has given. Anything that God has given you, nothing can take it away. Especially your faith. Father God, thank you so much for tonight, for the encouragement that we find in Romans chapter 12, that you've given each and every one of us a measure of faith. That's your gift to us, but it's a gift that you want us to use. And God, I pray that we would be a body and a people that use the faith that you've given us, that we practice it in the varying ways that we see in the text, as well as in other places. And God, I pray that each person in our community would have a drive and a desire to know what you've given them, that they will open that gift and then use it to bless other people. God, thank you for the greatest gift that you've given us in your son, Jesus Christ, in the salvation that comes through a relationship with you that then leads to all these other gifts. And God, I also pray that if there's anybody who is listening tonight that has been listening to your word and hasn't made that commitment to trust your son Jesus Christ as their savior, to give their life to him, I pray that they would do that. And that they would come to me and that we'd be able to talk about it and share about it. And they would have that new life and then get that new gift from you to use. God, thank you so much for what you give to each and every one of us. And I pray this holiday season that we would hold on to and focus on that faith. And it's in your son, Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior, the greatest gift of all. Amen. Thank you for listening to Christ Center Cast. Please join us again next week. God bless.